Welcome to Next Normal, the podcast that is reimagining capitalism and exploring the ways that money can do so much more than just make more money. Here is your host, the co-founder of the Global Impact Investing Network, Ahmed Buri. Welcome to Episode 6 of Next Normal. Our podcast aims to explore pathways towards the next normal in our global economic system. And our guest today is one of the leading corporate pioneers charting that path. Marcelo Bejar is Vice President of Sustainability and Group Affairs at the Brazilian-based cosmetics giant Natura & Co. Natura & Co. comprises beauty brands you surely know, Avon, Natura, The Body Shop, and Aesop. Back in 2014, Natura became the world's first publicly traded company to achieve the esteemed B Corp status. This past summer, the group took another major step by announcing its vision, called Commitment to Life. That decisive action towards sustainability and new thinking put Marcelo and his team right at the center of the next normal conversation. Marcelo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Amit. For me, it's really an honor to be with you and with everyone that is listening to us. Great. We started this podcast last year with a goal of connecting during this time of pandemic and thinking about what could come next for a global economic system. Now, here we are a full year into the pandemic. You're joining us from London and Natura & Co. is headquartered in Brazil, so you'd very naturally have a very global perspective. How are you holding up during the pandemic? So we are all suffering from isolation and being far away from everyone, but uh, we are holding well. At our business, we are trying to do our best to secure that everyone is, is well and safe as well. Just to talk a little bit about what we are doing, at Natura & Co, we produce personal care and we shift our lines of production from fragrances uh, to help out alcohol gel and to produce alcohol gel for many geographies throughout Latin America. We did major donations in Brazil and we are trying to give the best uh, help we can to different geographies and to different governments. So we are working really close to public authorities to help out uh, the situation and to ease the impact that the virus had on our communities. Well, it's great to hear um, how you've stepped up in this moment of crisis. And of course, the work that Natura & Co. is doing in general is really shifting the way that companies respond to the needs of society and the planet. You know, we start the, this podcast with um, examining the underlying problem in our global economic system as it exists today. And of course, many of those problems have been just highlighted by the coronavirus pandemic. How do you and your team think about that fundamental problem with the current status quo? Or in other words, you know, what are Natura & Co.'s sustainability efforts ultimately combating? Very good question, Amit. And I think we saw the world's most pressing issues coming from the environmental crisis and the climate crisis. So we build a strategy to tackle the climate crisis. We see inequalities rising during pandemic, and we also did some uh, important targets and we set ourselves important goals for us to thrive and to, at the same time, create more equal conditions for everyone. And I think the, the third big challenge that we had to tackle as a company, as a group, uniting four brands in over 100 countries, was to create a more regenerative way of producing 
and a way that we would create less pollution and would easy our impact in the planet, moving from what used to be called negative externalities into regeneration. So that's something that we've been building for quite a while. And now finally we have clear goals and clear targets uh, that we want to achieve in the near future. That, that's so exciting because I, I love the combination of the big vision and also the, the goals and metrics and accountability for how you get there. I mean, I do want to come back to that and hearing a little bit about how you're actually implementing this vision. But I also wanted to start with something that's on the minds of many people around the world, which is, you know, there are many critics that believe that global corporations are themselves a significant part of the underlying problem. Obviously, you are taking as a, a big global corporation a leadership position on addressing many of the issues in the system today. So how do you counter that perception that many people have? Um, and how do you actually incorporate that in terms of building trust in, in your incredibly expansive vision that you have? This is a very important topic because corporations are certainly at the two sides of the issue, right? So they are on the, the side of the problem, but they are certainly on the side of the answer as well. So I think there is a growing movement from corporations that are gaining consciousness in the last few decades. And Natura uh, was based in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and it started to create its awareness on the most pressing environmental and social issues, I would say, from the 90s, right after the United Nations Conference on Environment in 1992 uh, in Rio de Janeiro. So it, it started really to create the connection between how could we be not only part of the problem, but also create part of the solution. So right after that conference, I think the awareness around biodiversity and the importance of connecting what companies do with what the world needs became better understood in Brazil and globally. We saw companies shifting the way that they produced and we, we followed the same path. So uh, I think what we're trying to create now is a connection between others who are moving on the same path in many different movements. And I think we'll be able to mention some of those initiatives that are building the collective path where companies will shift the way that they count, the way that they measure their activities and the way that they drive change, uh, not only on environmental, but also in social and economic terms. It's so wonderful to hear about the history and the roots of this work, um, you know, going back decades to that conference that really inspired so much great work. Uh, now, of course, you know, just last year, you came out with a big vision um, that I think is quite exceptional in terms of its leadership. And that's where I want to go next. You know, as um, you know, we're thinking about addressing these underlying problems with the system we have today, your comprehensive vision focused on a commitment to life, which I think is so interesting um, because you'd think that many companies would be focused on supporting life, um, but they're not. That's not the mindset that they have. So I'd, I'd love to hear if you can talk about what that vision is and what you've set yourselves up for for the coming years in terms of the leadership that Natura and Co. can play in shaping a different way of doing business. So just giving two steps back and taking the, the chronology to get into that vision, because it was crafted really out of decades of action. So the World Conference on, on the Environment in 1992 was crucial, but then uh, out of that, we started to craft products out of the biodiversity and worked with the Amazon region for the last 20 years. Every time 
anyone from the Northern Hemisphere would visit Brazil, uh, they would say, oh, what you're doing is similar to what the body shop is doing. And at the same time, people from Brazil, when they visit the UK, they would say, oh, what the body shop is doing is similar to what Natura is doing. And it's not a coincidence. Um, Anita Roddick, the body shop founder, visited uh, Natura a few times. The Natura founders visited the body shop a few times as well. They exchanged perceptions on how to build things differently. So I think that Anita's contribution, for instance, was very important to how to communicate to different stakeholders, how to communicate sustainability to customers, and Natura's contribution on how to operate with traditional communities really took Anita's attention to, to how uh, that could be done in, in different ways. And I think on that complementarity, that was really the beginning of our vision, when two different companies started to, to craft their own lines in parallel ways. When we joined forces with ESOP in 2012, and then when we joined forces with The Body Shop in 2017, we formed the Naturin Co Group. So having companies that were based in Sao Paulo, in London, and in Melbourne, trying to make the same patterns and the same connections, building a framework that would be common for things like carbon, for things like biodiversity, and for things like uh, circularity. Then we land into a vision. When we were about to launch it, we decided to move to do a deal with Avon and to bring Avon to that group. And Avon, as you know, is a very strong brand on women empowerment. So Avon is doing um, some tremendous work for the last 130 years uh, with women throughout the world, uh, nowadays in 56 different countries, empowering them. Uh, and we thought that we had to pause our vision to bring Avon aboard and to bring different social metrics so they could combine not only the environmental aspect, not only the circular economy aspect, but also the social aspect. So Natura uh, vision for 2030 is called commitment to life. And we have three different pillars. We have one to address the climate crisis and to protect the Amazon. So as you know, the ecosystems are in danger and the Amazon is a very important one to assure that the world can meet its carbon targets. So the Paris Agreement will only work if the nine main ecosystems on Earth are preserved. And to preserve the Amazon is one of our missions. On the second pillar from Commitment to Life, we promise ourselves that we will defend human rights and that we will be humankind. So that means in practical terms that we are saying we are going to pay living wage for all employees by 2023. We are going to assure gender equity and gender parity by 2023 as well. Uh, we are saying that we'll work on inclusion for underrepresented groups in 30% of the diversity that we have in every social fabric in the societies where we operate in over 100 countries. And finally, we have a third pillar on commitment to life where we promise ourselves that we will embrace circularity and regeneration. So we are committing to become full circular in packaging in the next 10 years, to become 95% uh, renewable on natural ingredients and biodegradable formulas, and to really work towards regeneration. 
Well, that's incredible. And, and I think one thing is so interesting is just how comprehensive the plan is. Um, you're not just looking at one specific issue, um, but really trying to take a, a holistic view on the impacts and, and opportunities that a, a company with a global footprint has to uh, make positive contributions to the, the health of society and the health of the planet. Now, if you could you know, think about if you say you're wildly successful, not only in executing on this vision, but also inspiring others to do so and collaborating with other allies who are also taking strong leadership um, around the world, could you paint the picture of what a transformed economic system would look like, you know, just at a, at a very high level? So if this just becomes the way that business operates, you know, no longer something that's visionary or leading, but it becomes uh, the next normal, if you will, what would we see if other big global companies took to heart Natura's vision and commitments? I think what we'll see in the next normal and what is about to come, first of all, will certainly to value nature. So companies should make their own plans and their own frameworks considering the value of nature. So in order to do that, I think a few things must change and a few things are about to be reset and to be remade. So one of them certainly is to fix the carbon puzzle. So nowadays we are all setting ourselves ambitious targets, but it's really important to land on common metrics and common framework so we avoid double contagion, so we are incentivized by public policy. So I see the next normal as carbon being valued in a way that will not be seen only as risk, not only as something that would be important for companies to do, but certainly as something that companies will place on their scores and to get everything that they do connected to that value as well. So just to give you a practical example, and I think that's important for those who want to see how that would work. Um, I think one critical and historical example from Natura was we set in 2009 carbon in our balance scorecard for payment for executives. And once we didn't reach the carbon metric and the carbon target and bonuses were not paid. So uh, we really took it serious and everyone understood that the carbon metrics and the carbon targets were as important as the economic ones. And I think bringing those values at the same pattern, at the same level, uh, and leveling the playing field there, I think it's what the next normal will look like on that dimension. I also think that companies will work more and more towards the regeneration concept. So it's not only about producing, but what you are getting back to the planet and what you're getting back to society. So I think there are some regulations that are already in place, but go beyond regulation, like the Nagoya Protocol on biodiversity, like paying access to benefit sharing for traditional communities and giving that back from the consumer, uh, I think will be the next normal as well. And I think more and more in the future, inequalities won't be accepted as business as usual. So I think we'll have to work in a, in a framework that will take into account the differences in society as the normal way of how a company look like as well and who is placed in, in which position, considering the differences between uh, societies. That, that really resonates with me. And what I hear from you are so many things in those comments. Um, one is certainly you know, a lot of tangible ways in which you know, the next normal would actually manifest itself and how it would feel different in society uh, and for businesses. I also hear kind of like redefining very fundamental things like value and success. 
you know, people want to be successful. If you're trained in business, you're trained in how to add value and create value and generate value. Um, but it's important that we think about value beyond just economic value or financial value for shareholders, but also think about what value means for the environment um, and for other stakeholders like workers and customers and communities. It's incredibly exciting to hear you talk about this. And, now, and I'd love to talk a little bit about how we get from where we are today to that next normal and to that big vision that you've laid out. Now, our first podcast guest uh, on The Next Normal was John Elkington, um, who cited Natura & Co. as a great example of his famed triple bottom line criteria uh, in practice and also as an illustration of what capitalism can become. So how do we get to that potential you just described? And where does the business and corporate community start? John Elkington is probably one of the most important thinkers on sustainability. And when he described his triple bottom line concept, we think that he was not saying that companies should have separated targets in terms of economic, environmental, and social metrics. They should be aligned. And I think what is uh, different, what we try to build in our daily activities, is that those three instances, those three metrics, those three ways to measure what success looks like, they are interconnected. So I think the capitalism that we're trying to build is something where this will be seen more and more uh, between different companies. So just to give some idea of what we're talking about, as you know, Natura does have a work with traditional communities for over 20 years. The body shop does also operate with traditional communities for the same amount of time. But now ESOP is also starting to do some work with traditional communities in their brand with the Sanda oil. And I think that's one way of taking a social theme with an environmental connection together with a business that it's really uh, getting very good economic results for the last five years and for the last 10 years growing exponentially but connecting that with environmental and social targets. So that creates more value, not only to the shareholders, but also to society, to governments. So it connects a multi-stakeholder approach. I think what John Elkington meant with the triple bottom line concept was not to think unidimensionally in a business, but always to think in its multi-dimensions as a whole. And that's how business will look more and more alike. You know, on that point about supporting communities, our, our previous guest on The Next Normal, Carol Ann Hilton, who leads the institute called the Indigenomics Institute, highlighted her views about the role that Indigenous people must play in our reimagined economic system. Now, I know that Natura & Co. is thinking about Indigenous communities, um, particularly in the Amazon. And you can tell us a little bit more about how you think about that and how that factors into your vision? We work in the Amazon for over 20 years uh, with the Natura brand, nowadays with 28 communities. So we connect with over 30,000 people and we benefit them with our activity. And just to give a one example on how we preserve 1.8 million hectares of land uh, in the Amazon, we do a business in a different way. So uh, we understood that one of those communities they were chopping down a tree called Ukuba. And that I think is a very practical example. So Ukuba tree was in the verge of extinction because the communities would sell its wood to create roofs and broomsticks in the southern part of Brazil. 
Natura went there, understood that the tree had a, a seed with a very powerful hydrating capacity. And with that, we created a whole line of products that allow us to pay three times more for half of its seeds per year than what the community would get for the wood itself. So immediately after we, we launched the program with them, they shift from chopping down the tree into planting more trees to get more fruits and to become uh, more profitable. So that's profitability coming together with biodiversity and natural-based solution for carbon at once. So, and you do have also a very important aspect, which is traditional communities are the guardians of the tropical forest. And there will be no way that we will be able to get to the plans that were crafted during the Paris Agreement, that the countries will get their national targets accomplished unless we preserve uh, all the, the tropical forests or we reverse their deforestation process. So uh, that's how Natura is operating in the Amazon, but the Body Shop is also doing things in Africa with she and we have many other examples that are connected to that mindset of doing regenerative solutions in a way that it's good for companies, but mostly good for the communities themselves. So I think it's all interconnected. You know, I really appreciate those tangible examples of regenerative models, and I'd love to go a little bit deeper on that topic because I think regeneration is one of the most powerful concepts that is essential to rebuilding kind of planetary health and, and healing societies. But I also think, while it's popular, um, it's not that well understood. So it's clearly part of your vision, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about what does regeneration mean, and how do you think about that at a strategy level? I think for us, regeneration, we, we split it into three different big criterias and big buckets. So there is one on circularity and on packaging uh, circularity. So we are not only trying to reshape the way that we think packaging will look like, so we are going to, to shift towards 100% of packaging material being reusable, recyclable, or compostable. Uh, we will offset through collect and reuse programs to reach the 100% responsible disposal where uh, recycling infrastructure is not available. Of course, there will be also a major shift in terms of plastics and the role of plastics in the world. So we are working with other brands, with other companies in collective instances and forums. So to rebuild the way that we are nowadays uh, building our materials, there is also, in terms of regeneration and, and circularity, a big commitment for us in terms of the way that we do things, so the formulations and, and uh, the ingredients that we source from. So we are thinking about having 95% in biodegradable formulas. So this is really important for us. Biodegradability will be a must in the coming years. Uh, Natura was one of the, the first companies to uh, in our sector to build its environmental profit and losses. And we think that in the near future, consumers will be keen to understand when they see a product, what is not only the economic price of the product, but what was the environmental price of the product. And the more you get a regenerative approach, 
the best you get on that criteria as well. So it will be visible in the near future how you source from and how uh, was the cost for the planet of building that product, of, of crafting that product. So uh, finally, to get there, we will need to invest a lot in regenerative solutions. And we think not only through R&D, but also in partnership with larger players that will jointly join us on collective efforts towards regeneration. We have, I would mention, three big groups that are working on that nowadays. Uh, One Planet to Biodiversity, which is a group that is connected to the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. Uh, We do have the Union for Ethical Biotrade, which is um, probably one of the most serious organizations on sourcing and regeneration. And we do have also Business for Nature Coalition, which uh, is trying to establish not only regeneration from a company perspective, but to value nature as a collective perspective and to really build the framework for everyone. So as we already try to value carbon through the Paris Agreement, we are trying to shape a way in the near future to build an agreement on nature. So nature can be valued as well. And regeneration can be not only a principle, but also uh, something that companies will put on their targets and metrics as well. And that hopefully will be visible for consumers soon. I want to build on that concept of partnership, which is clearly such an important part of your strategy. Um, If we're thinking about changing the system, obviously businesses can't walk this path in isolation. What do you see as the role for investors um, and government and and other representatives of civil society? I think it's crucial that everyone is is aligned on building back better, to use uh, a terminology that is being uh, quite used in many geographies nowadays. And certainly, uh, I think Finance plays a a very important role on placing incentives and and really reading what cannot be shown only on the P&L from the company. So I think sustainability provides for investors a way to read the invisible. So how a company will perform in the future, what are the risks that the company is willing to take, and which are the measures that the company is protecting itself and building for new metrics so that those risks won't arise for companies who are unprepared. So there is a big difference for investors when they choose to to allocate their resources at an ESG company, a company that's really building a stakeholder mapping and visibility to everything that it does, than a company that is thinking that just have to do what is a legal requirement that is still on the same business as usual way of behaving. There is certainly another important connection coming with governments, especially now in Europe and in the US. I think we see a clear change in public policy towards a greener approach. So providing incentives, providing new new ways for companies to perform their sustainability targets and their sustainability projects. So this is evolving not only in those geographies, but we are seeing that growing in China as well and in Asian governments that will become more and more often. I think we can think about incentives as the way that we'll be able to turn around how things are being doing and how we are performing our business for the next years to come. 
Yeah, I want to build on this concept of business as usual because we're obviously in a time of great crisis and it's incredibly volatile. You know, with COVID um, and of course the ongoing climate crisis, which continues to become more visceral all around the world in terms of its impact on everyday life and in communities. Post-pandemic, how do we avoid rebuilding the same problematic system that we had before? And do you think there'll be any negative repercussions of the pandemic in terms of like corporate sustainability and leadership efforts? I think the pandemic showed that invisible matters, when they become visible, they create tremendous concerns, harm, problems, etc. The climate crisis is something that we are seeing, that it's visible. We know that it's coming. We see the rising global temperatures. So I think COVID somehow might open our eyes for what used to be considered either invisible or seen as a a lateral issue, something that was not in the center of what we are considering as priority. So I do consider that this crisis and spending, reflecting on on the world, on the way that we produce all the, the new connections that were allowed by creating vaccines in a a time frame that we would never expect, getting solutions that would take years to be delivered in some months, uh, and getting that rolled out in so many societies is something that can and must be used also to tackle the climate crisis and to tackle inequality. If something that COVID showed us that we should really learn from is that inequality can be tackled and that the ones who suffer more from COVID will certainly be the same that will suffer more from everything that will come with the climate crisis. So to adjust public policy to help those first, I think will be a must uh, in the near future. You know, I, I really appreciate those points because I think it highlights the fact that you know this crisis has really put a spotlight on many of the inequities that existed before, um, but are a matter of life and death, you know, quite literally. But it's also taught us about our collective potential uh, to respond quickly um, and do things that were once thought of as unimaginable. Um, you mentioned kind of the you know the rapid development of vaccines globally as something that we've we've never ever seen anything quite like that from a scientific standpoint, let alone the the logistical kind of mobilization that's involved in doing something like that. Um, so both kind of highlighting kind of the problems and the potential from this crisis. And as we come out of it, you know, we we have a lot of goals that are set around um, 2030, whether it's the Sustainable Development Goals, Paris Climate Accords, of course, the commitment to life is also um, you know, anchored on that time frame. How do we keep urgency front and center for this important work? It will be crucial to align public policy, investors uh, with their clear targets and setting their goals to what is called now the decade of action. So for everyone to be aligned on what is important and what should be framed as common metrics for everyone. I think one of the problems of sustainability, one of the problems of the different aspects and different angles of our operations is that it can become too complicated and it can become lost in so many acronyms, in so many frameworks. So I think for us to get the urgency we should really align a little bit better. So certainly getting the big four accounting firms together as it happened in the beginning of the year is a very good first step. 
getting governments aligned in the NDCs for the Paris Agreement, and now seeing the US joining back the Paris Agreement and more and more governments connecting public policy to them, it's also a very good perspective. Now I think it's time for companies to place on their own scorecards, to place on their own uh, metrics, how they want to achieve and how they are going to contribute to that process. So I was taken by an information that uh, less than 5% of public traded companies do have clear carbon targets. So it's a very small number still. Uh, that number must grow. And I think everyone has a role to play there, but certainly public policy and finance will be the ones who really drive the change because they are the ones who give the boundaries for for private companies to thrive, right? So that's probably one of the, the best instruments that we will have, the alignment between finance and public policy. That that is so important because if we are going to have, a, you know, a truly successful um, response to the crises the world faces, we do need a collective effort, and we do need to work across silos. And it's not just businesses, not just investors, not just NGOs, and not just governments, but but we do need to collaborate um, in ways that we've never collaborated before. Um, and I think that type of alignment that you discuss is absolutely critical to shifting the way that markets work and shifting the way that our economy you know, helps address inequities and also helps to um, you know, address the health of the planet. We have to bring it to a close soon, but before I let you off the hook um, from this great conversation, I do want to move to our lightning round um, where we get a couple of your recommendations you know, to get a, a sense for what are the things that you track and follow and, and where can they you know, go deeper along their own journeys of learning about the potential uh, for building a better system. As you think about systemic change um, when it comes to our economy, what community or leader are you watching? Like, Who do you have your eye on? We are watching closely Japan for their approach on regeneration and everything that they're doing to reverse logistics. And they are becoming so efficient on that. So I think they are really driving the change on circularity. And, and just to give a, a second one, if I may, sure. uh, I think we are all looking at China with high consideration for what they call the uh, ecological transition. So um, that's something that we are also very interested at because there are many new possibilities that are now uh, evolving there. So that region of the globe is really taking uh, a lot of our attention. Yeah. And what is the single best book you can recommend on this topic? There is one that I consider that places the word boundaries quite well, which is the Dunnett Economics from Kate Raworth. So the British professor, she really, I think, sets well the image and the idea of boundaries to tackle the limits from the planet and the limits for inequality. So we must be in the middle of where the Dunnett is. So try to build a more regenerative uh, society and uh, to better understand the concepts of regeneration. I think she's one of the far from thinkers that crafted an interesting concept. So I would strongly recommend that. Great. And if you could recommend that we interview only one more person on this topic, who would it be? So I think today we talked a lot about regeneration. And I think a company that is together with us on that path is Danone. So Emmanuel Faber, Danone CEO, he is driving 
an important movement around biodiversity and around regeneration. So I would recommend them who are also a B Corp as we are. So I think that's part of the movement and uh, it aligns with triple bottom line and a very thought leadership on biodiversity. So. Marcelo, we appreciate your time with us. There's so many things I liked about our conversation, but a couple of things I want to highlight. The real integration of leading a global company uh, that has a footprint that spans 100 countries, while also taking into account the health of rainforests, uh, creating economic opportunity and livelihoods for indigenous communities, thinking about packaging, uh, thinking about how do you invest in regeneration and build in circularity, uh, and also thinking about how you lead other companies on this path. It's been an incredibly rich conversation, certainly has given me a lot to think about, and hopefully all of our listeners have a lot of inspiration for how they can think about their own work. Thank you again. Thank you, Amit. It was my pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you as always. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast and share your thoughts about Marcelo's vision for our next normal on social media. Our next normal community knows that money can do so much more than just make more money. And with your help, we're aiming to show the world just how we can do it. Until next time, take care and stay safe.